Thank you all for being here. There's been a lot of amazing panels over the last two days, but they do say best for last, and that's certainly not because of me. Um, Alanis, amazing to be up here with you um, today. So um, I am going to take a moment to actually read some notes, because I want to give Alanis a proper introduction for all the amazing accomplishments she's had, and there's too many for me to remember, and I'd be too nervous to. So... Alanis is a global music superstar. She's an iconic queen of alt-rock angst, as Rolling Stone once called her. She's released nine albums in her career over the course of her decade-long career. She's sold over 75 million albums worldwide. She's been nominated for 14 Grammys. She's won seven. She's been honored with 14 Juno Awards, three Billboard Music Awards, and two American Music Awards. She holds the record for the most number one hits on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart, Women-Led Acts, and she helped bring a Broadway adaptation of her iconic album, Jagged Little Pill, to Broadway. And that show earned two Tony nominations, or two Tony Awards, I'm sorry, and 15 nominations. Um, After nine years um, of a hiatus, Alanis released her latest album in 2020, such pretty forks in the road. Outside of music, she's performed as an actor on television shows like The Weeds and Nip Tuck. And she's also created a podcast where she interviews experts to delve into subjects that she also sings about, addiction, empathy, narcissism, depression, and trauma. Um, All really important topics. (laughs) Um, She's a wife and a mother of three children, and she lives in the Bay Area. And, you know, I think that, like, beyond all, well, these many accomplishments, Alanis is is known for being brave. She has stepped out and conquered new areas and challenged um, convention so many times in her career. And and that's, you know, another reason she's incredibly exciting to have her here to talk to today. Um, And as I was thinking about the title of this panel, which is Artistry, Feminism, and the Modern Work Life, I originally thought about it as three topics, and then I thought, they're all really very combined, and truly, you embody them all so incredibly well. Thank you. Integration is very 2023, how to integrate it. I like compartmentalizing and charts and graphs, but... I like that too, but but these blended together. We love structure, we love freedom within the structure, and thanks for that introduction. So, you know, you kind of busted onto the scene in the 90s, like really forging new territory. You were a revelation for women, showing us that we could be our full selves, our full messy, emotional, and powerful selves. Mm. And that was truly groundbreaking. Mm. Um, And I think in order to really appreciate that, it'd be helpful if you just put your industry in context at that time. Uh, it was a time where we were uh, sending songs to the radio. So you ought to know Jag Little Pill first was sent to radio. And a lot of the responses I got were along the lines of, well, we actually can't play this song because we're already playing Tori Amos or we're playing Sinead O'Connor, so we're good, our quota's good. Um, and that changed. That changed almost overnight. And all of a sudden... Um, all of a sudden, female bodies, artists, were deemed bankable as such. And um, 
all of a sudden there was a credibility and a hunger for the, the female gaze, the female perspective, the feminine perspective, really. And I had a lot of male artists who came up to me during that time, too, and felt as though I was giving them permission to be more integrated and to be masculine and feminine and everything in between. And you say that, like, at the time that happened, but you really led that charge in so many ways, right? The, the so metaphor, there's a lot of reasons yeah. that helps people break yeah. out. One of them is, is differentiation. Mm. One of them is having something, you know, unique and new that, um, you know, is, is wakes people up. Yeah. And you, you know, definitely went there. Um, and you tapped into a zeitgeist that people didn't, like, we all knew it was there, but we weren't acknowledging it. And when so, you say it, what do you mean? Well, I mean just the power to talk about, like, messy, tough emotions. Yes, like, yes. you know, that, that had been covered in music before, not so much by women. There was, like, a certain genre, a certain type. Maybe there were a few people emerging, but like you said, it was very kind of specific or siloed. It wasn't like there's a big appetite for this, yeah, right? And yeah. I think that, like your first album even just really changed that landscape. So, you know, what gave you the courage at that time to, 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 to bring that? To well, it was, it was actually a very inside-out approach. You know, I, I've worked with people over the years who take sort of an outside-in approach to things. That is really foreign to me. I don't, I don't know that one. Whether we're doing artwork, whether we're coming up with an activism plan that will, that will dovetail into a tour we're doing or whatever we're coming up with has to be something that I can get behind and jump out of bed four in the morning because otherwise it'll fall flat for me. So the inside-out approach to planning um, has always been the way for me to go and that requires me, especially with three children now, that does require me to, to have moments where I can actually just process it and, and rest my brain, you know, because being on all the time seems to be ubiquitous all over the planet right now, just going from one thing to the next, no transition. Um, and some of the best ideas come when I'm, you know, the shower seems to be a popular place for ideas. Um, but some of the best ideas I come up with are when I walk away from something that's being asked. Right. Yeah. And, and so, like, I'm just imagining, like, you've got, you've got all these ideas, you've got, you know, things to say in your music, but it's new. So, like, you know, how, how, did, you, how did you break into the business that way? Well, you said brave earlier, and I remember writing these songs was, in a, it was an existential artistic imperative. So these songs needed to be written. Yep. And I wish I could say that I led with the, the cognition of this is a brave move, but it was more of an imperative move in that if I'm not expressed, I get depressed. Yep. I get cranky. Um, Things don't go so well if I'm, if I'm sublimating and biting my tongue too much. So art has always afforded a freedom, a space to express myself in a way that allows me to blend everything, allows me to blend my conscientiousness for being so sensitive yeah. and so empathic. It's, it's allowed me to allow my art and my activism and my showings up to be consistent and have a thread of continuity through all of them, whether it's visual, music, writing, prose, articles, chatting with you right now. There's a thread of continuity that shows up every time. Yep. And it's not something I think myself, think my way into. It's something that just becomes because I'm, the continuity is there, if that makes sense. It, it does. And I think that like, you know, clearly tapping, being an emotional person, knowing, I think we talked about when we were 
prepping a little bit, like this idea of like the highly sensitive person mm. and how do you, you know, where can you find strength in that yeah. and, 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 and what's challenging about it too, so. Well, I think the highly sensitive, the theory um, mostly helmed by Elaine Aaron is that 20%, a gentleman named Tom Falkenstein has also written a book about highly sensitive men and he's up to 30%. But for the, for the purpose of this moment, 20% of people are highly sensitive temperamentally as a trait. It doesn't mean that the other 80% are not sensitive. It just means trait-wise. So, and four, four out of the 20 are empathic. And I met Elaine Aaron. I had the pleasure of working with her. And we did a documentary uh, called Sensitive Together. And she turns to me and she said, ooh, you're one of those HHSPs and you have to be really careful and you can't have more than one child and you're going to be overwhelmed. And, you know, and I, I appreciated that and then I went on to have three children. Um, but for me, it's about being responsible for the current of energy that courses through me, yep. whether it's intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. Um, act, you know, the, the blend, that androgynous blend that I live for, which is the feminine imperative, which is bringing in a sense of missionfulness as a leader, um, having a vision, and knowing which mode to get into in terms of leadership styles too. There are some environments where I don't have to say a word and I can whisper something and it would be such that it would unfold. Other environments where people need a little bit more orienting and coaching, um, I don't stay in that mode too long because it's exhausting. Yeah. Um, but being able to, I think the sensitivity and that kind of a lens informs what is needed in case-by-case -case experiences. So whether it's on the, if we're on the tour, if we're on the road, or if I'm in a business meeting, or if it's money-related, or anything that, um, is run past me, I can, I can step back and, and look at it from a very holistic place. Like how would this affect people on relational levels? How would this affect people financially? What's the bottom line? Uh, you know, what kind of leadership are we talking? Are we doing more affiliative? Are we doing more um, you know, authoritative for a hot second? I can also kick into wildly delegatory if there's an emergency, but I prefer not to stay there because it's exhausting. You know, I was just thinking while you were talking, like, you have great language around this. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, like, when, you know, it, I'm imagining it's been a journey to kind of get there. And I think that, like, we, you know, talk about, um, oftentimes we talk about women as being emotional. And it, it carries a negative connotation, particularly when it comes to, to business aspects. I guess. It has. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that like a lot of what you were just talking about was like tapping into emotions, tapping into temperament and using that to your advantage. It's using all of Did it. Did you start yeah. doing that before you realized that that was like a strategy or an opportunity or like how did you kind of like... Yeah, good question. I didn't see it as a boon at first. I, I saw it as something that would have me have debilitating nerves, which is still the case. Always nervous. Um, but then I did start to see it as a boon because there were subtleties that I would notice and pick up on that it started to become that I was the person that people would go to, you know, whether it was a Broadway, it was the Broadway experience or whether it's a final edit on something or visual. Um, I'm such a systems thinker, so I can, I can behold and observe what's going on in a system, whether it's two people or 200 people, and I can get a general sense of what squeaky wheel needs a little oil and what, who needs a break. So there's the, the chief empathy officer that, yeah. that it helps with. Yeah. But it helps with everything. And I think 
looking through the lens of multiple intelligences versus just the singular intelligence, for the most part, intellectual intelligence and academic intelligence gets, gets the most cred. At this point, whether, whether one is in a position of leadership or inside a system, it is really knowing how to uh, bring out the particular intelligences in each person that they came to the table to provide for yeah. the system, right? So, so we, we think about that a lot. Even at our, even at my house, we homeschool uh, our kids, and <clears throat> basically, it's in our house. If someone says that person's really, really smart, you know, the begged question is, well, what kind of smart are we talking okay. about, right? Because yeah. it isn't just emotional intelligence; it's also a general spiritual intelligence. And with the wellness world that that I love to dwell in. It's, it's micro-mineral intelligence, it's scientific, it's medical, it's intuition, it's it, academic is almost the no-brainer, you know, the, the hotbed is the math, reading, writing, you know, I call it pre-Stanford approach to education. Um, and then as arts, arts programs start falling away and going the way of all things, it's, it's just, integration is the way where you're gonna make, I believe, teams are gonna make the most money and be the most excited and the most jump out of bed energy um, when the whole system has all the intelligences cooking, ideally. Yep. Yeah. And let's think about that a little bit, like just in the context and the arc of your career, which obviously, you know, emotions play that in everybody's life, but I think that they've really been front and center for a lot of things. Your music is incredibly emotional. Your, you know, kind of skyrocket to fame, like really in the limelight. And then your your stress around that has been documented, you know. And so, like, maybe maybe talk a little bit about that into kind of deciding in 2010 to take a bit of a hiatus, or if you did, like, what prompted that? Like, what you were trying to do? Like, um, there's no such thing as a hiatus if if you're a human being. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> you know, people use the word relevant a lot, and for me, it's contextual, right? So, if I'm in the living room and three of my kids are crying, I might be the most relevant person in that room if I'm going to help them. Um, so it's contextual. I think when people use the word relevance, they're actually talking about fame, you know, zeitgeist moments. And those yeah. come and go. I've been experiencing that. I started a record company when I was 10 years old because nobody wanted to sign a young person. Now they'll crawl That's up in the uterus and get you to sign a, <laughs> a, a, you know, an embryo, basically, gets signed at this point. But, um, <clears throat> but back in the day... Uh, I started the record company because people didn't want, probably rightfully so, they didn't want to engage with children too early. So what was my point in sharing that? Um, well, maybe on the children topic and thinking about like the arc of careers and women in careers, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. like in going back to like saying, okay, when you were starting, there was very few women artists. They were kind of almost had slots for them. That has thankfully changed. But yeah. what feels like still hasn't changed enough is like, women being able to stay relevant in that business for the length of their career. Because a lot of times, like I, someone was sharing today, a lot of people were very excited to hear from you, so people came up with different questions and oh, facts. Great. Yeah. Um, and we're sharing that like the majority or almost all of women, I mean, clearly you're an exception, you put out a record, but like once they have babies, they're not producing at the same rate with their music. Well, they are producing at the same rate, the form just, of their expression. Yeah, changes. exactly. Well, it yeah. just includes more. And actually, they're, they're performing at a higher rate, let's be honest. 
Well, I mean, and that gets into this topic about the invisible load and yes. many things that people are carrying. And we talked, you know, you mentioned briefly at the beginning, like everybody's juggling things. There's so many inputs. I think for women, like as we've been trying to kind of expand our roles and step into business leadership roles, we haven't necessarily wanted to give up some of the roles that have been historically women or certainly motherhood and stuff. And so now it's just more things to balance. Yes, and the invisible load. I and mean, not balance is a terrible word. Well, Sorry, actually, it's, it's no not a terrible that, word. Chasing yeah. balance is yeah. lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the word invisible is the operative word there because there are so many things to take into consideration that the subtleties of the details of whether it's child rearing, home, care, aesthetic, empathy, powerful listening, the first thing to go oftentimes for me is time for myself. You know, and if I have to give up 100%. the odd like you thing, said, that's, fine. But that's critical time. You were mentioning earlier, like a lot of the creativity happens in the shower or yes. when you're on a hike by yourself. And, and there's so a cost. If you don't get that, yes. then... The cost is that you don't have as many ideas until you provide that time for yourself. So you have a lot of ideas. Let's talk about that yeah, for a minute nonstop. because yeah. everybody knows, and I listed them off, you know, Alanis as a musician and, and how prolific you've been there, but you are involved in all kinds of other things, including being a teacher and having classes. So yeah. maybe share a little bit about that. I think that would be interesting. Well, I've always been fascinated with the human condition, so that will show up in songs, that will show up in, I've, I've had the pleasure of teaching at 1440 Multiversity. Um, Tell people I, what that is. It's a, it's an amazing place uh, for retreat and for education of a holistic kind, basically. So um, a lot of psychotherapeutic community go, you know, teaches there. Um, Jean and Scott Kreins started it. And I've done three days there where I really get into the nuts and bolts and, and super granular details of, of what it is to stay connected to your capital S self, what it is to stay connected to spirit while you're on a very egoic mission, a very, you know, and an agenda is welcome in the conversation of, you know, yeah. if, if we're transparent about what our agenda is, there's, there's no real shame, there's, there's no shadow lurking, right? So for me, if the agenda is to serve, the agenda is to be expressed, I mean, I have the great, I'm in the best industry for that, and part of why I love moving to Los Angeles from Canada was because I had all kinds of ideas and they were often met with, well, you can't do that, or that's not been done, we can't do that. When I moved here, I would share the same ideas and it would be met with, let's do it, wanna film it tomorrow? Do you wanna do it tomorrow? Should we hire someone right now? You know. So I like the immediacy and the yeah. urgency and the responsivity uh, for ideas in this kind of an industry. It's delicious. What, um you know, tell a little bit about the most recent album you've recorded mm. Mm. and maybe how your music has evolved over, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a decades long career, yes. right? But you started out as a young person and a single person and now you wrote this album as a mother, mm. three children. Like mm. how, how is it different? Well, every record and every song I've ever written is just a snapshot, and, and I'm not very precious about the process. Uh, the difference now, uh, compared to what it might have been when I was 19 and wrote Jagged Little Pill, is that I used to cross my fingers to some degree before I'd start writing and yeah. pray that a song came and something you know, that would be of service to myself. And I write it for myself to begin with, okay. and then the sharing of it, it becomes it's yours, it's not mine anymore. So that, that means I welcome every interpretation, no matter, no matter the accuracy, accuracy level or not. 
revisiting Jagged Little Pill mm. 20 plus years later and thinking about that as, you know, as the musical it became. What was that experience mm. like? And what was different about what Jagged Little Pill needed to be in 2019 and 2020 mm. versus what it was in 1995? Yes. The best news for me was that um, it could still stand by the, the lyrical narrative stories with conviction. There was a bit of updating needed for the, um, the part of me that wrote a song called Not the Doctor about dating and how I didn't want to be responsible for my partner's stuff, you know, and now that I've been married almost 12 years, I realize there's no way around that one. And uh, we're all responsible for each other's healing journey. Um, but for the most part, the, the narrative is something I can still stand by and, and the topics are, are things I can still extrapolate on and feel comfortable doing so. The musical, it was, it was very intent on making sure that the musical wasn't a jukebox musical because I had no interest in that. So the process itself actually took about eight years um, wow. of waiting and meeting different writers and resonating and, you know, with a lot of these Pulitzer Prize winning writers who I was interviewing. And there wasn't a big click until Diablo Cody signed on and Diane Paulus was directing. And, and then I just thought, okay, now you can't swing a dirty sock without hitting a master. This is the room I want to be in, you know? The masterful artists coming together where one plus one equals 500. So it was an incredible experience in that way, just a whole room full of wildly intelligent people and then the actors and portrayers of the roles. It was incredible. But I didn't want it to be my story. There's, there is a one-person play in me. Uh, I have many, many goals, but this one is more of a 10-year goal where I have a, a lot to say through music and through performing and through um, acting and telling stories that I'll eventually get to. When you think, you know, you're, you're, you're known for the music, you're known for the play, what other things have you been part of building or creating that you're really proud of and feel really connected to? Oh, um, I love design and aesthetic. So whether it's jewelry or architecture or um, buying a place and gutting the whole place. Um, my grandmother used to say I was allergic to walls. Um, so I do love the sort of aesthetic design aspect of things. Um, I think everything is art. You know, there's, there's both sides of the brain. I just bounce between the two all the time. And I love doing both um, sort of art and commerce. I just think that, they're, that, they're, that art and expression can take on so many different forms. Um, but, the, but the musical was a, a really special one for me because it was an example of me intuitively knowing when to lean in and when to be quiet. If someone needed me, I would zoom right in there and I'd be in the epicenter of it. And if I could tell I was not needed, I would just sit back and just Probably makes you a great partner by. in a lot of these ventures. It was, yeah, I, lo I live for partnership. And, you know, the, the, the bar was high in terms of relational grace, the invitation into a, this huge team of people, um, just really inviting everyone to communicate in a way that implied not only emotional and, and relational grace, but where we're growing and we're on the edge of our seats. And it is decidedly vulnerable. There's still professional boundaries, but it's, you know, everyone is a little outside of their wheelhouse, which is my favorite environment yeah. to be in business-wise or art-wise. Stretch a little we're bit. We're all in a little scared, yeah. yeah. I live to be a little scared. So on that topic and thinking about this, you know, title of this thing, feminism and how it's evolved over the last two decades and a half since you've been an artist came onto the scene talking about kind of, you know, again, like the messy, the emotional, the powerful selves. Those were wake-up calls to people. Like, what do you think is a wake-up call today? 
integration. I think uh, the combination of being able to respond to the moment as opposed to having some preconceived, slightly rigid uh, agenda or approach to something, being able to behold it and come up with something, whether it's through a group conversation or whether it's through one-on-one -on -one or just getting in the shower, um, coming up with those answers in, um, with, a, with a whole different approach to holism, meaning you know, the, that the intellectual part can't be starving, that the emotional part can't be starving, that the activism part has to be fed, all these itches that have to be scratched. And for the most part, almost every project I've participated in in whatever way, there was enough there, enough grist in that mill for me to show up and feel like it was a whole experience yep. versus just sort of relegated to just the financial or just the artistic or that it's all of it actually. If someone was going to go like break new ground on like introducing a topic or saying something today, which you know, like, how would you how would you capture that idea in a way that was like controversial or captivating to really grab attention around it? I don't actually think about that consciously. It happens. Yeah, I do think about real time, I mean, this, the, the form of this, conversations, public conversations, is the way for Which me. Which no one's had for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then the whole idea too, I mean, the, the industry for 20 years ago, to become a successful woman in business, I was reading some study that in 19, in the 60s, that something like, people preferred male bosses 66%, and then today, people prefer male bosses in the early 20s percent. This is one right. particular study. Um, and I think what's happening now, feminism-wise, for me, is that it's, the lens is changing. Because if we're going to uh, adopt a, a hyper-masculinized approach in order to be inside a business world, it's still an incomplete gaze. Right? But, so, and, and that's not what people want, right? Well, I mean, it's like you spend yeah. some time fighting for equality and getting there and like trying to break into the boys club or trying to be the artist that the world wants or the radio stations want. But like the real goal is to be able to show up in your, in your full self and right. be yourself. And I think that's where you were, really have always been ahead of the curve. Thanks. I, I, just, yeah. I love the human condition, my own, other people's. I'm, I'm obsessed with how the heck we're all still here. Okay, so we're on a wrap, but oh, um, okay. I, I hope this isn't an unfair question, but I know this is something people are curious about, which is, do you have like a favorite song? Do you have like, do you have a favorite song that you wrote? Do you have something that like maybe, you know, you carry it with you always, it like has that place? There are songs where I just well up when I think of them. There's a song called Offer that I wrote years ago. Uh, a song called Your Congratulations. You know, so, so much of business, um, is, you know, whether it's the work addiction conversation or, you know, work-life balance or, you know, so much of it. Um, oh, my God, so many thoughts. All right. At the same and what about, oh what's, okay, what's next for you? Um, I'm about to release a meditation record just because, I, and I do want to qualify this by saying that meditation isn't the panacea for everyone. For those of us who have anxiety, sometimes meditation can induce a panic attack. So it's not the sort of panacea go-to thing, but I am obsessed with 
the clarity and sense of groundedness and sense of connection that I feel when I can be still. Okay. And it's more important now than ever as a mom and as someone who's Is like, that something you found like in your journey along the way or recently or? Um, I've been loving and, and singing about the virtues of stillness for a long time, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it doesn't mean that I avail myself of it uh, every day, but whenever I can just to get yep. to, to what, I call it the boredom portal or, um, the other side of stillness is the title of the meditation record. So the okay. idea that when I'm in this um, uncomfortable place, if I stay, you know, it's kind of the soldier warrior in me that okay. if I stay in it, that there's another side and that the, some of the best ideas are when I push through those moments. Well, then that seems like a record everyone, or an album everyone <laughs> should buy so they listen It'll, to. It's so. supportive, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Alanis. Thank you. Really Thank you. Wonderful yeah. to have you here.